Welcome to the podcast. I'm Richard McLean. I'm John Norton. And this is Please Leave a Message. will be season three episode 10 uh, overall we're at episode 39 we're called please leave a message because we do have a phone number you can call and you can leave us a message the number is 801 sketch one that's 801-753-8241 you can also find us at please leave message.com anything that we talk about that's visual we'll try to post a picture on our instagram uh, you can find us at message podcast or you can uh, email us at pleasepodcast at gmail.com. I guess that Area 51 thing is going on tonight. Yeah, I was uh, on my way here. I just heard a little uh, thing on the radio about it. That 100 people stormed. Oh, but, did they? But 200 people got arrested. Okay. <laughs> I saw, oh, I think Robert posted it. I, I It was like just a spoof article that. A dyslexic guy stormed Area 15. I saw that. I didn't read it, though. <laughs> it was it was funny, yeah. but it was just like a spoof. And, and those, there's there's a ton of those out there. There's like the Babylon Bee, and there's like the hardtimes.net. There's there's like a whole bunch of them. They're just like spoof articles. Yeah. Usually, I don't even bother to read the articles because just the title enough is funny right. for me. I didn't even know this thing with Area 51 was a real thing. Like, for a while, I'm like... This is people really want to do this. I well, guess. I guess what happened was somebody made uh, a Facebook event. Yeah. And then because it was Facebook, it just kind of blew up because Facebook's full of people. Yeah. And then I think the, the, the government was getting really serious about it. And uh, I saw a picture today. There was a bunch of people like dancing and but there was like a big giant tank right behind them and a helicopter overhead. <laughs> Like, I could see it be, being kind of a, you know, like, it's interesting, you know, and Area 51 has a mystique about it, you know, and sure, like, if there are secrets, I'd want to know, but, like, what what were you thinking was going to happen, you know? Exactly. Like, you're just going to, like, get this huge army of thousands of thousands of people, you know? Like, yeah, you got a hundred people against the U.S. government, you know? Well, and that's... Good job. <laughs> if, if the base is what they purport it to be then they've got all kinds of secret weapons we've probably never right. heard of yeah that they're like okay yeah whatever <laughs> yeah but uh, like i could see it being um like a weird event where people just like go out and party well that's that's kind of what they they try to turn it into like i guess they got in trouble because the, the government was really taking it seriously and so they they got they talked to the person that put the original <laughs> post up and so what they did was they've they've turned it into a music festival, yeah, and organized a music festival. In fact, I've got some friends that are performing oh, nice. <laughs> down there. Like, how close can they be? Like, you think I don't it's government property, and they're not gonna. Like... I no, because they're they're touchy about how close you get. And so I'm pretty sure the pictures I was seeing were photoshopped anyway. Yeah, because they were nighttime pictures, and it wasn't nighttime yet. So I think somebody had just photoshopped some things together. But it was it was kind of funny. Yeah. So I know somebody that ended up going down to perform tonight. So that's kind of cool. Yeah. Have you ever watched that show Disenchantment? That's the 
the the, the Simpsons. Yeah, yeah, Matt Groening. Yeah, Matt Groening. I I've, I watched a few episodes of the first season, and I was like, I I didn't end up finishing it for whatever reason. You know, I really want to because Simpsons was great and Futurama was right. Even better, actually, in my opinion. Yeah, I've heard that. And I enjoyed Futurama. Yeah. Well, with Simpsons, it's like the first, you know, seasons like three through eight, like the heyday. Like mm-hmm. that's some of the best ever. But like Futurama as a whole, I really enjoyed more. Yeah. Um. So I was, I was excited about this, but I didn't get into it. But then I saw like, oh, there's a new season out on Netflix now. Yeah. So I'm like, I gotta, I gotta, well, that's what I, up. cause I, I just saw that the new season has started. So I watched the first, I f- watched the first episode and started the second one tonight. So we're about on the same page actually. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I found it hard to get into it first. Yeah. I couldn't binge watch it. Yeah. Like I would watch an episode and I'd enjoy it. And then I'd watch like half of another episode and be like, I got to take a break from this. Yeah. Until I got a little further into it. And then, I, then I could watch maybe two or three before I need to take a break from it. That's always the thing with any new show or binge worthy thing. It's like, unless it's something you're really excited for, it's like, if it's brand new, you're, it's going to take a little bit, you know, and like, gosh, I have to get through these first couple of episodes. But then once you get into the, the series or the story, you can't put it down. Yeah. 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 I don't, I don't binge watch a lot of things. I'll sit and watch several episodes of Star Trek with my kids. Yeah. But when like Stranger Things comes out, I'll sit and watch the whole thing at right. night. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. My, uh, my girlfriend is actually my girlfriend of nine years. So essentially my <laughs> wife partner, she can like binge watch like crazy, you know, and she'll just find these like random shows that don't interest me. Not my, you know, cup of tea. But she'll start like watching and she like I even got her a magnet, you know, she can watch like five years of like five seasons of a show within like two days, you know, kind of a thing. <laughs> but she will sometimes drive me crazy because she watches like her sister would often make fun of her, too. Like she'd start watching these shows and they're just like ridiculous and stuff. But then I'm watching them with her and I'm like, I hate this, uh-huh. but I get semi-involved semi yeah i've been there <laughs> there there was this episode it was called drop dead diva i tell this story often it was about like a supermodel who dies my but, wife watched that one right and her spirit goes into the body of a bigger lady who is a, a lawyer right essentially you know so oh hijinks you know and ridiculous concept i don't even think she finished it but then we're watching this episode and like, we get halfway through, and she's like, oh, wait, I've seen this one. And just, like, had finally realized, and she's, like, wanting to go to the next one. I'm like, no, <laughs> I'm invested in this episode now. I don't remember what happened at all, but I'm like, i got to watch this now. So it's kind of funny. Yeah. It's funny how you can get into a show, even if you're not, like, really into it. I remember back in the day, like, I'd get home from school. I'd watch X-Men and Batman. And then like Power Rangers would be on. And yeah. I, I would always make fun of it, but then I ended up watching quite a lot of it. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. I Power Rangers, I love that show. My Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. And it wasn't until like I'd I'd watch this like it was on on Saturday mornings, but then it would also be playing like in the mornings and I'd see it before school. Mm-hmm. You know? And then it wasn't until like I realized I liked this is when they were it was the introduction of the Green Ranger. It was a five part episode 
And I was like telling my mom, I'm like, mom, I have to watch these episodes. Like I, <laughs> I need to like before it was just a kind of a thing right. to be playing kind of in the background while you're getting ready. I'm like, I got to watch this now. And then it got, it was good. There were some good storylines and then it got silly. You that, know? Yeah. That's how I ended up getting into Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Actually. Yeah. It was on in the morning when I was getting ready. And sometimes I would just turn the TV on cause I was ready to go and I, it wasn't time to walk out the door for the bus yet. Yeah. So I just turned the TV on to see what was on and Buffy was on in the morning. I, and even though I couldn't even watch full episodes, <laughs> I'd get like maybe 10, 15 minutes. I ended up getting involved. <laughs> so eventually, uh, one of the neighbors had told my wife she was really into it and had loaned us a season. Mm. And we ended up watching like six seasons before we moved yeah. <laughs> from that area. And then. We finally got Netflix or whatever. I don't even know what service it was on, but yeah, I finished it up. My wife didn't. <laughs> I I got I started watching Angel first. Okay, like I, I I don't know why. I think I caught a random episode of the first season. I'm like, oh, this is kind of cool. You know, he did this badass move where he like caught this demon by the neck and really quickly yanked up and like broke his neck. It was just like really quick. I'm like, wow. That's cool. So I got kind of invested in that and I had known of Buffy and him, but then I started watching Buffy like from Uh like season four or five, whatever it was at the time. So then I later went back and rewatched it on Netflix, but I liked Angel like a lot more than Buffy. See, and I've only ever seen a few episodes. I should probably check that one out. Oh yeah. I recommend. I mean, if you like Buffy. I did. Then you should like Angel and like. I think I like the characters a little bit more. Okay. In Angel. But. Yeah, the the few episodes that I saw, it was like, I don't exactly know what's going on. I know it's related to Buffy, but I'm not. Ex- it was before I'd really watched a lot of Buffy. And so yeah. it was just like, I, I don't really know what's going on here. <laughs> well, it was um, the the one character of Wesley. He, he started on Buffy. Buffy season three, he was like a watcher who took over for Giles. Okay. Kind of this uptight, tall, skinny British, British dude. Right. Right. You know? And then he ended up being on angel. Okay. And he became, he ended up replacing another character. There was a new character on the show who the actor died for some reason. Like he quit, he quit the show and then eventually died. I think Robert mentioned that when he was on, like it was just really sudden that he died. Yeah. But, uh, so they brought on this guy, this character, Wesley, and that guy is, you've seen him in a million things. He was, uh, he's married to Allison Hannigan who played Willow. In oh, Buffy, okay. And, uh, he's been in a bunch of Joss Whedon things and he played that weird alien in the first Avengers movie who was like with Thanos, like they call him the other or something. You go back and watch that and there's this alien who's like talking with Thanos. Like, at, Oh, like before. Yeah. And and then at the end credit scene where it like shows Thanos. Where they the first, first showed time, him. Yeah. And he's talking to him and like, you know, to challenge them. It's to cry. Right. I just watched that the other day with my daughter. Yeah. So anyway, same actor. Okay. Played that. Anyways, that character of Wesley, he, be, he had like the best arc in that whole series and he became like one of the best characters, you know, and he went away from being the uptight British guy to be like, a pretty like significant badass character who was really smart and just had some crazy stuff going on with them. So cool. So tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do. What do I do? <laughs> I'm a social worker by day. Okay. And comic book artist by 
other parts of the day because <laughs> I sleep at night. I used to be social worker by night, comic artist also by night because I used to work graveyards. But I work at a uh, nonprofit homeless organization, The Road Home. Oh, okay. I've worked there for almost 15 years. Robert worked there for a brief time for... I think five years. Okay. And our older brother D, he started there first. He's the one who got like the degree in social work and mm. kind of got there, brought Robert on because he needed a change in his job. And then eventually they got me a job there as a seasonal employee. The road home works. It's a 24 hour, 365 day a year shelter. But during the winters, numbers go up. Right. And they need to open a an overflow shelter, which is in Midvale. Oh, okay. So that's where I started working seasonally. I was out of work. I used to work at the airport doing security stuff, but I got not fired, laid off. Like the, the organization got picked up by a new, by the, by the federal government. Okay. TSA. I gotcha. And I failed their tests or whatever. Cause I'm colorblind. Oh, okay. You know, it was bull crap, <laughs> but I got hired on there and ended up being really doing really well at the job, you know, I mean, I've been there for 15 years, different positions. I worked graveyards for five years and I was able to do a lot of drawing. Oh, okay. At night. Cause it got boring and stuff. Now I work during the day, but you know, still consider myself a comic book artist. That's what I want to be in some way or another, you know? So I do the conventions all the time. I've, uh, I've written, drawn, lettered my own comic book. I actually brought, the issues here. I don't cool. know if you've ever gotten those. If you've picked those up for I've, me, at I've, all. I've looked. I've browsed through them at Fanex. So these but, are here as a gift to but, you. Oh, fantastic! Yeah. So there's five issues that I finally finished. Okay. That's a whole complete story arc. It was only supposed to be four issues at one point, and then it turned into five because I couldn't fit in. Okay. Like I was trying to cram too much into the final issue, even making it a bigger issue. Right. And I'm like, no, got to go five. Yep. It's all in black and white because, again, colorblind. But, you know, I wrote it. I penciled it, inked it, lettered it. I did a Kickstarter for the first couple of issues. So now, you know, that's finished. And I'm kind of uh, not at a crossroads, but it's like, wow, that's that's a that's a thing that I did. You know, yeah. that took up five years of my life. Like, it took me one year to do just a single issue. Okay. And just because when you're doing everything and trying to juggle your real job that pays the bills and like a social life and, yep. you know, just not wanting to do anything, you know, like they're just sometimes like, I don't want to draw. Yep. Like I, I think I should, I need to, even today I was like, man, I got some time, but damn, this video game is sitting right here <laughs> and it's a lot easier, like a lot less brain power. <laughs> I used to do that a lot more. Now it's other things that occupy me. Like the video games don't pull me as much as they used to. The, yeah, they they don't. I'm not as huge as gamer as I used to be, but if I allow myself to get into involved in a game, like I'll spend a lot of time. On right, it. You're right. I, I'll I'll do that every once in a while, but it's it's been a while since I sat down and played for like a long time. Years ago, a friend of mine went on his mission, and so he's like, "Hey, I don't want my family to have this stuff while I'm gone because it'll just get destroyed or disappear." Yeah. So he's like, "Will you take care of my PlayStation Two while I'm gone?" I'm like, "Sure, absolutely." Cause I didn't have one. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. I'll do this for you. <laughs> so I was hoping by the time he got home, there'd be something else and he wouldn't want it back, but he did. Yeah. <laughs> but I bought a bunch of games while he was gone. So I've like had all these games sitting around for years that <laughs> you, I, you didn't give him the games when he, took not, the <laughs> not the ones that I bought. Right. Heck no. 
<laughs> so I've had all these games sitting around for years. I even had memory cards with like saved games on them. Yeah. And I, ke- I kept thinking, man, I should just buy an old PlayStation. But every time I looked them up, I was like, that's more than I want to spend. Mm-hmm. But I found one just the other day at a thrift store for like eight bucks. Huh. And so I, I pulled those things out finally. I've been playing them and I'm like, this is fun, but. I can't sit and play it for six hours like I used to. Yeah. Like one hour and I'm good. I, I can, depending on the game. I, I'm not much into online gaming. I'm not either. There have been times I have been, but it's just, I, I get like stressed out. Like right. I'm, I'm playing with real people and if I suck, like they're going to be upset, you know, right. whatever. And I'm like, who cares? But then you get like the jack. If I swear, am I going to get in trouble? Um, I, I will either edit it out or uh, <laughs> I try to keep it family friendly. Gotcha. Um. But, you know, you play with a bunch of people who are not the best I know when it mean. comes to yeah. anonymity, you know, over mm-hmm. the Internet and whatever. But if you get a game that has like a really good storyline, you know, then I am like fully invested. That's the part that I like, except what, what I realized is I got the PlayStation 2. So I dug out all the old games that I had and mm-hmm. I'm like, none of these have storylines. I don't know what it was. Maybe it was just the kinds of games they made for that system yeah. or what I, what we were playing at the time. But like every single one of them is like extreme sports stuff. Right. Except for one. One's a racing game. Hmm. There was a game on PlayStation 2 that's called um, Shadows of the Colossus. I want that one. I've never had an opportunity to play it. So that game is it's one of the best games I've ever played. It's done by a production team called Team Ico. They did a game called I have Ico. Ico. I have Ico. So I never finished it because I would get frustrated every time the shadows would just come because they just don't stop. Yeah. If they would just, you know, come in a wave and then give you a minute to think. Right. I, I hate that part of games where they just kind of send waves and waves and waves at you and you just can't stop y- to think. Yeah. But that that's a puzzle game. That's what that's. Y- I love puzzle yeah, games. Yeah. But it's it's a puzzle game. Ico. I'm going to get back to Shadows of Colossus in a second, but Ico is a puzzle game, but it's like, it's very artistic. Yes. And it's very, it's designed very well, but I played Shadows of Colossus first. And if, um, if I had to talk to somebody and like try and convince them that video games were artwork Mm -hmm. or they need, I needed to show, like give an example of a video game as a piece of art. Shadows of the Colossus is probably the one I would do. So that's what I've heard. And Mm -hmm. I've been dying to play it. Since it came out, and I've just never had an opportunity it, to. It's so good. My buddy was a huge gamer at the time. Uh, I don't think he is as much anymore because, you know, having kids and, you know, growing up and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. But he was showing me, he was trying to get me to play this game, and he showed me the end, the final boss. And it kind of sucks that I saw how the game was going to finish, but at the same time, like, I was like, oh my God, like, this is so epic and amazing. And what what's great about that game is it has a storyline, but it's very subtle. Yeah. You know, it like doesn't give you like in 4,000 feet, you know, right. blah, blah, blah. Like I kind of like games. I like it when they do that, where they kind of leave it up to the imagination a little bit. Yeah. Where you kind of have to fill it in on your own. Mm-hmm. There's just little things about it. The premise of the game. Do you, have you heard about? Well, I know you're just fighting these big, huge giant things. So, but that's that's about all I know, I, and I just know that the the video that I saw of it just looked spectacular. It's almost a moral dilemma of the game of like why you're fighting these things. So you you're you're this character called Wander, I think, and it's in like a fictional, made up, you know, kind of fantasy world. And he's the game starts with him on a horse going to this land, this ancient land that's forbidden. He's not supposed to go, and he goes into this temple, 
And uh, he has a body of, I guess, his love, you know, his wife, girlfriend, whatever. She's dead. And his whole mission is to bring her back to life. He heard that there was something in this temple that could bring her back to life. And he essentially speaks with a demon, almost talking to the devil, basically. And he says, like, yes, there is a way for me to do this. But to do that, you have to destroy these statues that are around in this temple. The statues are representative of these different colossus, colossi, colossuses (laughs) that are found in this land. Okay. And the only way to do that is to to destroy these statues is to kill the colossus that is representative of it. So you have to go out and invade these colossus land and they're not evil. They're not doing anything. And you have to find the way to kill them. Okay. Each colossus is a puzzle in itself. Right. You have to figure out how to get its attention, how to climb on top of it, how to find its weak spot. You have a sword that is kind of cool. You can hold it up and it like shines, you know, and like it'll show you where to go first. So it's almost like a puzzle of how to get there. Then you get there where it's at and it will show its vulnerable spot, usually on its head. Sometimes it's hand or back. You have to make your way up there and stab it several times, but like... The, the musics start to kick in, like the orchestral music of it. It starts to kick in when you get there, and then when you start climbing on it, and then when you get to, like, on top of it. It's 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 so good, and I'm only touching on, like, a fraction right. of what that game is like, you know, and just, like, some of the subtle things that that game can do. Very cool. It's on my to-do list. Yeah. <laughs> I just haven't gotten to it yet. I would recommend that to anybody who's... Like, into fun fantasy stuff. They talked about making it into a movie, which I think would be hard because there's, like, almost no dialogue in right. the game. Sometimes ideas are just so cool that you're like, oh, this would be a cool movie. But then you're like, oh, maybe not. Yeah. It, it would be cool to see live action, but, like, would... Well, that was, like, Battlefield Earth. Oh, yeah. Did you ever read the book? No. The book is fantastic. Yeah. It's one of my favorite sci-fi books that I've ever read. Yeah. It's just so good. But what's missing from the movie? Well, first of all, it was supposed to be two movies. So they only did half the book. Okay. And the other thing is that you're missing all the internal dialogue. Yeah. And a lot of like just a lot of like the cool elements of the story are just missing because they're not cinematic. Mm-hmm. So because when I read it, I'm like, this would be a cool movie. But then I saw the movie and it was just like, uh I didn't hate the movie like most of the world did. I only remember watching the one time and I was young when I saw it and I never felt the need to rewatch it. Right. I remember like Robert, my brother, he was really upset that these humans were able to get into these, were they jets or planes or something? They were jets. Yeah. And just jumping them and do like some. See, because there's a there's a huge part of the book missing. Yeah. So they find the jets, but they don't know how to use them. They find simulators and they spent months training in the simulators. There's just no way to show that in the film. Yeah. But yeah, that's that's a huge part of it. And and they're like, there's so much uh, missing from the story in the film just because it's a film. It's difficult. It's, I, I won't say you can't, but it's, it's difficult to show certain things happening over long periods of time. Yeah. So that was that was what I felt was one of the cooler parts of the story was that there are these humans that have been slaves to the aliens for generations at this point. 
you know, the human race is practically wiped out. The human race has basically just been knocked down to Stone Age levels. Yeah. One of my favorite parts of the book or the story was was how they learned technology and how yeah. they they got, you know, accelerated to a point where they could fight back and and bypass and figure out how to beat the aliens and Yeah. It it's interesting that how if you get the right or wrong director or writer to adapt you know, certain storylines into a movie, like how it can go, you know? Yeah. So you, you got a good, you know, a good book like that. And the guy just didn't know what to do with it. Apparently, you know, yeah. it, didn't know how to adapt it. You know? Yeah. It's, and, and sometimes it's just like, maybe it could be done Yeah, and you're given a chance and it goes horribly wrong. <laughs> yeah. Thing. And, and some, like I've read stories about some productions that are just like, they're just plagued with problem after problem after problem. Mm -hmm. It's like, well, this was, we ran into this problem. Then we ran into this problem and then these people clashed and then this happened. Mm -hmm. And then, yeah. And just, it's, it's just, it's kind of a gamble. Yeah. I watched a video about the abyss. Oh yeah. And like such the hard time to get that movie going. And some of the, the actors and stuff were going through and mm -hmm. getting, yeah, there's a series on YouTube that I came across. It's it's called What the F Happened to This Movie. For, is it, was it from Joe Blow? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I, that's, I watched all those. That's yeah. where I saw that thing from yeah. for Abyss. Yeah, so and it was, I've watched a few of them. It's, it's a pretty interesting series. Yeah, like the main female lead, Mary Mess... Ma she was, she was in Robin Hood. Yeah. Of Thieves. Too. Yeah. Anyways, she was in that and she was... It was they were doing the scene where she was, she had drowned and they were right. trying to resuscitate her right. or whatever. And she just was not happy because she's in a vulnerable position right. while they're doing the scene. You know, she's like half naked, you know, her, her shirt is open and she's at one time, like the guy was hitting her and he's like, you know, wake up, you know, fight. And like, they just kept doing it. You know, James right. Cameron's like kept insisting to keep doing it. And she was getting pissed. I, I think she was professional enough to get through the scene, but afterwards she yelled at him. And then they talked about Ed Harris, the main guy. There was a scene where he had to he had to submerge underwater, but like do that breathing thing where they filled his tank up, his helmet up with water, the oxygenated liquid. Right. So that's a real thing. Yeah. But like he almost drowned. Like right. Someone messed up, and like the cameraman or somebody like realized what was going on. So he almost died again. He was professional, but then he like freaked out had right. a breakdown on the side of the road as he was going home yeah like my wife works in film just on local productions and stuff and the behind the scenes stuff that happens yeah like s some sets are just really fun to be on people gel they get together they get along mm -hmm. and other sets based on like the movie that it is and the subject matter you would think that people would be getting along because yeah. you know it's not like it's a some weird drama where Things are going horribly wrong, and so mo actors are having to get into weird moods to, yeah. to portray the part. It's like a, a nice family story, and there's just, you know, there's a little tension here and there. But, you know, you'd think that it would be a good set to work on, but some directors just... What What is the... Is, so is it the directors, or do you think... Well, it, like, it, it, dep the... it depends. Like, the director and the producers... Not all producers are, like, really hands-on. Some are, some aren't. Right. But, like, the director is really the one that sets the tone for the whole crew basically. Mm -hmm. And just 
like she was on this one where it's one of her favorite stories. She's working with great people, but the director was like so focused on what he was doing day to day that he didn't see a lot of the stuff that was going on kind of just outside of his reach. Mm -hmm. There were people that, so like on a film crew, the bottom of the rung, the lowest of the low are your PAs, your production assistants. They're the gophers. If anybody tells them to do something, they have to go do it. Right. Like interns. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And that's, that's where you start in in film. If you want to get into film, go be a PA, Mm -hmm. but then work your way up. Don't just be a PA forever. Right. Some some people do that. Yeah. Don't do that. They get stuck into it. (laughs) Well, they just don't know how to work their way up. Like my, my wife started as a PA and within a year she was producing or co-producing you know, because she just knew who to talk to and knew what to do. And she's good at working with people. And she just worked her way up really fast. And then, so that was years ago. And now she like, she'll visit a set and she'll see people as PAs that were PAs when she started. And she's like, what are you doing? (laughs) Does she feel bad? Like, were they people she knew? And like, does she feel bad? Like, I'm still there. And sometimes, sometimes they're like people that she knows and they're great and she likes them. And she's just like, but they're still doing that. Yeah. So, and that's like, it doesn't pay good. Yeah. (laughs) This is the thing. But on this one set she was on, like the PAs, it was kind of a friend of a friend situation. A bunch of them got hired by this guy Mm -hmm. and like he was letting them get away with things that a PA normally wouldn't get away with. And like people were giving her attitude that shouldn't be given her attitude just based on what her position was there. And there was just a lot of like bad juju going on. Yeah behind the scenes, but the director didn't see any of it. Cause all he was concentrated on was what he was doing and he, and he didn't have time to deal with all that yeah. kind of thing. So, but if, if you have a director that really sets the tone and is like, we're going to, you know, have fun together, then it can be a really fun place to work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> how long does she work like on a day? So like, a, and uh, how, how long are shoots? A, a, a shoot is typically depending on, what it is, but a, a shoot is usually two, three weeks. Well, for like a film, yeah, for a feature film is two, three weeks, maybe four. I think they're twelve-hour days. Yeah, and and you get like a lunch, and you'll have union sets, and you'll have non-union sets because we live in Utah. Yeah, so unions aren't required here. Okay, yeah, but like if you're in California, every set is a union mm-hmm. set, and you have to hire union people. You have to be on the union to work. And so if they're following union rules, then there's like certain set times that you have to do things. You cannot deviate. Like you have to have a lunch right in the middle of the day. Yeah. And and it's in the middle of the day, regardless of when you start shooting. Yeah. So if it's a night shoot and you start at <laughs> nine o'clock at night, six hours later is your lunch break. Yeah. <laughs> kind of a thing. Yeah. There's, there's just some very set things as far as that goes. It's, it's interesting to. I mean, to it, hear about that's there to protect the people who are working. So it is overall, it's good. It is. But like, sometimes it doesn't make sense because it's just so set in stone. Right. And You're like, we're working on this week. If we worked a half hour more, we could get done what we needed to and have less work later. Well, yeah, thing. that kind of thing. But also like you start your day say because you're doing like a night shoot or something and you have to get the light at a certain time at a certain time of the year. So you're starting at like a weird time. And so the lunch kind of falls in at a weird time and and it just does weird things because your body just, 
it's not used to that kind of a cycle. Yeah. Yeah. It just, it's just weird stuff like that because it's so set in stone that they can't go, well, why don't we eat at like a normal time and then work a little longer on this? And nope, can't do that. Yeah. The union shoot, you have to do it exactly to the letter. Man, I, I get like, I, I worked grave, graveyard shifts for five years and mm-hmm. that, man, that does a, it oh, yeah. puts your body into a weird situation. You get used to it. So you kind of don't understand that it's happening to you. Mm-hmm. At least with me, you know, like I was, I actually did a couple of graveyard shifts this week for the first time in like two years mm-hmm. again. And it was like riding a bike, you know, an old crappy bike that <laughs> is about to fall, break apart on me. Like, and I was able to get through the shift really easily, but then I found that like, I could not sleep during the day. That's, that's what was killing me and why I had to get off of the mm-hmm. shift, you know, and, like my girlfriend, Lori, she was, having a hard time with me because I wasn't, I was always tired and mopey, not grumpy, but just like never animated and alive and happy. And that's kind of what, you know, attracted her to me, you know, my personality. She's like, that's went away. That went away. I'm like, it didn't go away. It just shifted, you know, Mm -hmm. into two to 3 AM in the morning. Right. You know, that's my staff think I'm great. (laughs) (laughs) So one of the things we like to do, is do uh, some kind of a found audio thing. Okay. So speaking of the Area 51 thing, yeah, I've got a couple friends that have a group that they've put together. Uh, they call themselves Daddy, spelled D-V-D-D-Y. Okay. I guess it's a millennial thing. I didn't understand <laughs> it the first time I looked at yeah, it. D-V-D-D. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't get it the first time I saw it. And my wife's like, oh, yeah, I read that Daddy the first time I saw it. And I'm like, uh, I don't know how. Yeah. Because it doesn't look like that at all. But they, <laughs> they kind of dress, they do the, they dress like dads, basically, you know, the socks up to here with sandals and a badly dressed dad. Okay. That's kind of how they dress. And mm-hmm. they do like electronic music. So they're a band. <laughs> well, they're, I don't know what you call it when it's like <laughs> DJ stuff. Okay. Um, They're DJs, but they're also musicians. So I don't know, they're kind of in this weird in-between thing. Yeah. So I don't know whether to call them bands or a, or a DJ group or an electronic group. I don't know what to call them, but that's what they do. Okay. Tell me, do you feel love when we fall away? Tell me, if I reach my hand out, would you feel a thing? Tell me, is it too high, too high to get close to you? Don't want to put your fire out, but it's burning you. Inside a burning building lies a scorching love Crumbling around us into ash and dust Are we gonna fight or are we gonna let it burn? Tell me, do you wanna play, babe? Are we stuck in a
so funny for me because like i never like anything that's come out in the past i don't know since i was in high school like (laughs) yeah i don't like i don't get into new music i don't like a lot of what's on the radio right now there's a lot of cool new music out there but it's not what gets play on the radio yeah like as being artistic like anybody who's doing anything semi-artistic like that i'm like that's awesome Mm -hmm. you know keep doing it like that's cool that you're doing it so these are two guys that, uh, it's, uh, Brennan Nelson and, uh, Steel Cell Duty and just friends of ours from when we first moved down here. My wife worked with them in a couple bands. She used to do band management. And so she's, yeah. she worked with them as a band manager. And I did a, it wasn't a convention, but it was a show called Raw Artists. Okay. They do it. They, they tour around the country and, um, like, I think they have another one coming up in October. Um, it's almost like going to a convention, you know, like a bunch of different artists have different booths. Okay. But it's not a booth. It's like a space. Do you, is the one that you have to pay a ticket to get in, but if like the artist yeah. helps you get in? Okay. Yeah. They contacted me and I looked them up before saying yes. Yeah. And it just seemed really shady. Yeah. I, I thought that as too, but it's, it's a legit thing. Like I did it and I don't know. I just, I read so many bad things that when they called me back, I'm like, no. Yeah. I, no, I didn't, I didn't get that vibe from them. At first I did because like the, it wasn't, I was at work and I was like looking them up, but like the website wasn't coming up. I'm like, what is going on? It wasn't coming up on my phone, but it was like the internet, the, uh, it was the being firewall. Blo- yeah, for for my work specifically. I'm like, oh, okay. So once I went off the Wi-Fi on my phone, I'm like, okay, there uh-huh. it is. No, it it was fun. Like it's it wasn't shady at all. You know, like you. Now I'm looking up to see if it is the same one. Yeah, <laughs> contacted it, me. It it was a thing where yeah, it was you had to get like twenty people or something to buy a ticket that was like twenty dollars or something or the math. I, f- I forget what it was. And then if you didn't get the the right amount of people to do it, then you could just pay the rest to be in the show. But if you got like the full amount, okay, then any but any tickets that are sold specifically by you would be you would get that money. And so was, they're they're basically running that the same way a music venue does. Yeah. That's one of the ways that they'll do music venues is they'll they they basically use the artists as their marketing. Yeah. So. Yeah, and I and I got that, but it was it was still a, it was a pretty good um, 
like there's a lot of people who were there who looked at my stuff who are not usual like comic book fans or right. whatever. I was pretty much the only comic book art there. Okay. And again, they you can apply for it, but they contacted me. They found mm-hmm. me somehow. And then they do, you know, they put you on your their website, you get a profile, they do have a professional photographer take a picture of you and but then they have like uh, performance art going on, they have musical guests going on and um like uh, Lori actually bought a CD from one of the guy. He was a rap artist. Okay, but it was fun, and I kind of want to do it again. Like, you know, I could apply and do it. And plus, like, once you do it once, you're able to go to any city that it's being done in and do it again for free without having to do the ticket thing. Okay, but it has to be outside of like Salt. It couldn't be in Utah, right, you know. Right. So I'm like, oh, you could go to like New York, you know, but you just have to get there yourself, right? And I've always wanted to do it again, and. I'm not able to do it this year because, like, I have potentially two other conventions in October to do. One I'm doing for sure in Rock Springs, and then there's FearCon. Oh, okay. They keep trying to... They want me to come, and I'm kind of on the fence with that one. Yeah, I'm not sure that my stuff would fit for them, but the the gaming one that they do... The Salt Lake Gaming Convention, that's the same people that do Fanex. Yeah. I think my art would fit in with that one. Did I not talk to you about Gaming Con? I don't remember. So Oh, I, maybe we did. Yeah. But continue. I've done Gaming Con three times, three three years, I think. Maybe four. It was right. I've I've been doing like the conventions for about five years. So I think I've done four of those, and I, I remember the first two being pretty good, like pretty profitable for me, you know, not like making a huge amount of money, but enough to make it worthwhile. Okay. Last year's was, I was kind of on the fence. Like, I barely had made any, my table money back and barely made any profit money back. And then I did it this year, and that that was all in, uh, in at the uh, Mountain America oh, Convention Center. Okay, yeah. Um, it was called something else at the time. But they moved it to the Salt Palace downtown. Okay. And it was the worst show I've been – like, the, the the event itself I don't think was too bad. Like, I don't know. Like, I'm kind of stuck in my booth and I don't get to see the event. Right. But Artist Alley was kind of put back in a corner and then I was in the corner of that corner. Oh. So I was, like, looking at, like, a wall, you know, was right across from me and – you know, like I would have had to have made just to make back my booth money, not including like any supplies and stuff that I might have bought. I would have had to make like at least 200 bucks. Mm-hmm. Didn't make that at all. Yeah. You know, and, that's how my last fan X was. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was brutal. And I, I was feeling like I was kind of pissed, but like I started talking to other artists around there and then they were doing like same thing happened with them. Like, no one was making any money. Hmm. Then that made me feel better. <laughs> okay. Like, all right, it's not just me. But I think what it was is the change in the venue. Yeah. You know, like, it's all, like, Gaming Con isn't that big of a event. Having it downtown is hard to get to with traffic and parking and right. all that kind of stuff. Whereas the other one, the other event, They've the got location a pr- had that d- huge parking lot. Yeah. And then, like, I think Tracks was down that day. Oh, yeah, that'll you kill know? you. And it was a three-day thing and... Like, I was just, like, sitting there, like, not making any money, but I got a lot of art done. Like, I got, a, <laughs> like, inked four or five pages. That's not bad. Just sitting there. So, I don't know if I'm going to do it again. 
at this last fan X, I talked at the very last day, a girl came to my booth and looking at my stuff and she knew like one of the people who were putting together the gaming con and that person felt really bad. Like I guess the whole event as a whole didn't do too well. Mm. So, so the re- the reason I've thought about doing that one is because my my comic is about gamers. Yeah. So I th- that kind of fits the theme. I thought maybe that one would work out for me, but yeah. I mean, I might do it again. Like I I, I say, like I'm not gonna do it, but then like when the time rolls around, like eh, okay, maybe maybe I will. I remember the first gaming con I did. Like I just like buckled down. It was kind of like a last minute thing. And I drew so many pieces that were very video game related. Uh-huh. Didn't sell one of those. Really? Like I sold everything else that I usually have. Oh, okay. Like, but no one, no one really bought that's, any that's of the video game stuff. And it's like, it's, it's always so hit and miss. Like oh, yeah. I, I had a good, my first comic con was great. My first fan X was great. My second comic con was okay. And then, my second fan X was actually my best show that I ever did. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't like the normal stuff that I sold. It was people were buying commissions Yeah, and I made a lot of money that time because it's just people wanted my art. Yeah. And so I was doing custom stuff for them and I had several people come by and buy things and that was great. Yeah. So I'm like, Oh, okay. That's, that's where it's at. And so I was trying to kind of push the commissions a little bit more at the next one I went to. Mm-hmm. Worst show I ever had. Yeah. It was just like so bad. That it, it is very hit and miss. Like last year's Fan X in 2018, like that was my best one. Like I made a bunch of money. So, and I made pretty good money at this last one, but it wasn't, it was about half of what I made last time. And I was trying to, it was still more than I usually make, but Mm -hmm. it it was not as much as that last time. Last time must've been a fluke and stuff, but like, it's actually rare that I get commissions done. Maybe I need to put like more signs up that I do commissions, Mm -hmm. you know, but I did more of this last time, but usually, yeah, I was like, no one's doing any commissions. Well, it's like, and commissions are because your style is wildly different than my Mm -hmm. style. And it was just like that one show People wanted my cartoony stuff. Yeah. And so I, I did a bunch. And then the next one, it was like nothing. Nobody wanted my art. Nobody wanted my commissions. It was just like the worst show ever. And I just sat there. Nobody coming by. <laughs> it was depressing. Yeah. I, I think I know. Yeah. That, that is, that does get depressing and it gets like, it gets you down a little bit. There's been a couple of shows. Like I went to Palm Springs once, like I had some family, Lori's family there. So I kind of, you know, didn't have to pay for a hotel or anything. Right. And it was their very first one. And I would have had to make it a minimum of $500 to pay back the booth and plus the plane ticket that I, the mm. travel expense didn't make that, you know? So I'm like, I don't know if I'm going to go there again, but they say like, no, come back. Like it's getting better and bigger and stuff like that. So yeah, it is, it is hit and miss. You just never know. what yeah. You never know what's going to happen. Yep. This last one this guy was coming around like, and I did a commission for him and he was looking for something for Dolph Lundgren who was there. Right. And no one really had anything. And a lot of my arts, you know, like I do prints like a uh, portraits mm-hmm. of actors and their famous roles. And I do a bunch of those just so people like that kind of catches their attention. That's not what I usually want to draw, but I know like that sells and it will capture people's attention. So what I want to draw, and I don't get to do a lot. 
But I'm like, hey, I'll do a commission for you. And he wanted me to do Dolph Lundgren as the Punisher from his okay. ni- his 90s movie. I'm like, yeah, man, I can do that. And I found a picture and I got it done that day, gave it to him the night, the next morning. And he loved it. Like, and I don't think it's a, the best piece of art I've done. Right. And sometimes that as an artist, I don't know if you ever get this, like you'll do something, you're not too happy with it, but the person is like, it's yeah, amazing. Head over you know? heels for him. Yeah. And you have to kind of like, remember that, you know, like, and th- I think that's good because it pushes you to be a better artist. Mm-hmm. But that one of Dolph Lundgren, I think it's pretty good. I think his eyes are squinted, like pushed in a little too much, you know, but it ended up being like my best Instagram picture, like okay. with the most likes. And I don't get a ton of likes. Right. You know, I don't have a ton of followers yet. Like I just barely went over the 200 mark. So usually I put a picture up and I get like between 20 and 30 likes. And they're usually the same people, you know, mm-hmm. this one, it was like, well, into the sixties and stuff like that. Again, not, you know, for me, that's big. I'm like, that's kind of funny. I asked the guy to like, if you go get it signed by him, Dolph Lundgren, bring it back. I'll take a picture of it to see it signed. And he did. I'm like, Oh, did he love it? Did he like it? He's like, he didn't seem like he liked anything. Like he just wasn't (laughs) happy being there. I'm like, Oh, that sucks. You know, like you pay this money to go get something signed by someone. You want to be able to talk to people, you know? Yeah. It's, It's nice when they, like an actor is it? I mean, I get that they're doing this all day, but you know, and I try to explain that to the guy. He's right. Like, yeah. Well, no one forced him to be here, you know, <laughs> but it was basically like the manager was like, okay, you got it signed. Now you're moving on. Oh, you okay. Know? Yeah. I got something signed by Mike Coulter who plays Luke Cage. Okay. At the, I think the one in spring, mm-hmm. he was a great guy. He talked to me for a little while, you mm-hmm. know? And, yeah. I've, I've heard that too with, with getting stuff like that. Sometimes it, sometimes they're cool and sometimes they're just having a day. Yeah. I heard like, again, I talked to somebody who knew like people on the inside of like who do these conventions. They were talking about Tom Holland and God, I forgot how much they said they paid him to come to that event, but it was like $10,000. Yeah. They paid him just to, just to just show, to show up. up. Yep. I was like, oh my God, like, I hope he was worth it. Cause like he was paying like $200 for a signature mm-hmm. or 200 something more. I'm like, that's okay. Like, yeah, to me, I, I don't get starstruck yeah. at all. And so it's like, I don't understand investing money into that. Yeah. Cause to me, there would be no return. It's like, yeah, that's a cool item, but I, I kind of, that's why I never do it. Um, Lori was like, really wanted to meet Luke Cage, you know, yeah. Mike Coulter. She would really like that show. And again, he was a, he was a really nice guy. And like, you think I would have that framed or something and put up somewhere. No, it's still in my bag where I put it from that show months ago. It's still in. I'm like, I should do something like that. I did get kind of starstruck. I went through the line one year before I started doing the conventions. I was just being part of it. Mm-hmm. And we bought a picture to get. Um, with uh, Nathan Fillion, oh, okay. Adam Baldwin from Firefly. And right. I, I was cosplayed as Malcolm Reynolds. You know, I had the brown coat and everything. Do you watch that? Yeah, I've watched it, yeah. I got starstruck with him a little bit, you know, and this, and Lori got even more starstruck with him. Like, she made sure she got in the middle, but she just, like, she wasn't able to pose, so she has this big, goofy grin on her face, <laughs> you know. But he was like, hey, is that my coat? I'm like, oh, yeah. But, it, again, it was... <laughs> Come in, click, move on. Right. You know, you stand in line for hours and then right. it's like, so I, I doubt I'll ever do that again. Yeah. 
So we have this part of the podcast. It's recorded by my daughter, and she's been interviewing different people. She started with members of the family. She wanted to play on the mics one night, so I just turned them on and let her interview some people. She calls her podcast Talking Time. This is my podcast, and it's going to be really fun. What do you have going for you? I want to be a ninja spy when I grow up. Because I'm only 10 years old. Okay? Makes sense. So, what do you like about spies? They do um, super cool gadgets. And my favorite thing about spies is that... They they're have super cool fighting. Yeah, they fight good. That's why I want to be a ninja spy. Because ninjas are sneaky and fight good. And the spies are just idiots and they have cool gadgets and they fight good. So I'll fight super good, have gadgets, and be sneaky. What kind of ninja spy do you think you, you want to be? The kind that's the best. But nobody knows about me. We just watched a spy movie recently. How did you like it? It was a pain in the face. Why? Because the guy shot his face. Oh. Makes sense. Why do I think you're dirty? You're you're just an eight-year-old. I know I'm just an eight-year-old. Tell are we going to have a normal conversation? Um, No. Because I know we're recording. I'm a pineapple. I don't want to talk spies anymore. Let's talk about our favorite TV shows, like Casey. Um, yeah, Casey is a spy show. But I don't want to talk about spies anymore. I like talking about swords and flaming swords and swords that are flames and deadlands. I also like knives. I also like fire. I also like knives and fire. All in one. I also like pocket knives. I really want a pocket knife for my birthday. Will you give me a pocket knife for my birthday? I don't think I have that much money. Just and I won't mom. earn it. Just um, say, hey, Mom. Um, Kella wants a pocket knife for her birthday. Could that's you, a dad thing. Could you lend me some money so that I can get it for her? Or if you go birthday shopping for me, say, hey, Kella wants a pocket knife. Let's get that for her. Oh, yeah. Remember the secret um, gifts on the birthday shopping on the birthday shopping thing? The secret gifts on the birthday shopping? Yeah. It's where you go shopping with mom and Moira goes with you or dad. And then you'll find a gift for me or whoever's birthday it is. Like when your birthday it is, we ditch you at home with dad. And then you watch weird movies and we go buy you stuff. Yes. Hi, my name is Kella. I want a pocket knife for my birthday. I want it to be a Swiss Army pocket knife. I also want it to be the same one dad has. So the one with the fish on it. Please. Okay. Okay. Wait! I also like shoes. 
Although I have a lot of shoes, not as many as mom though. I do have a lot of shoes though, so Ethel could please stop buying me shoes when I ask you for them. That would be very helpful. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. And that's it for no, no, talking it can't time. Be it. No, it can't be. No, it can't be it. I'm not done talking. What do you want to say? Let's talk about dragons. Once upon a time, I went to space. I went up there and I had a face. Once upon a time, I went to space. Abracadabra, I have a face. How do you think about my race? Abracadabra, I have a face. And I think I am. Okay, next song. Once there was a pineapple, pineapple, pineapple. Once there was a pineapple, huge, huge, huge. Then somebody ate him. That was me. Then somebody ate him, ate him, ate him. Then somebody ate him. Now he's tiny because he's in my tummy because I ate him. Next song. I want the bow and arrow for Christmas, but it is my birthday. That's so too dangerous. Why, Okay, that's it for talking time. Okay, that's it for talking, 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 talking time. There's a guy that does an online comic that I enjoy. He came to to Comic Con once, and so I went and I talked to him. He did a documentary. Uh, called Stripped. It's about comic strips. Mm -hmm. And he went out and he interviewed all these uh, comic strip artists. And it's just a really cool documentary. And I paid extra money to buy not only the documentary, but like I have the full, all the interviews that they did. I paid extra to get all of them. Yeah. So I could just see them all unedited, the whole things. So they were having a showing at uh, the Larry H. Miller Theater down the street at that Comic-Con. Mm-hmm. And so I went down to see that special showing of it, and only like 10 people showed up, and I ended up winning a free signed copy of the book that he'd written, mm-hmm. which I was like, oh, that's so cool. And I talked to him for a while, and then the guy that actually directed the uh, the documentary, I ended up talking to him for quite a while after the movie. Yeah. And I was like, oh, and I noticed, because I'm an audio guy, and I'm like, I noticed in this scene and in this scene you were having some audio problems. <laughs> and, uh, like, there's one interview where there's, like, you can tell the windows were open and there's just, like, the cicadas were going nuts. You, you know, those, uh-uh. they're, they're an ugly little bug that's about yay big. Around here we get them sometimes. We get, like, seasonal ones. They, like, pop out, like, maybe every seven years, I think, or something okay. like that. And they just make a lot of noise. Okay. Uh, it to me, I really enjoyed the noise they make. I think it's cool. But like when you're having an interview and that's <laughs> just constantly going on in the background. So I was telling him, yeah, I noticed these, these audio problems you were having, and 
I actually know how to fix that. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> I can. I can. I can filter that out for you. You need me. I, <laughs> I, I told him that. I gave him my card, but he never got back to me. So. Yeah. Well, there was actually three set. I want to tell three separate stories. Okay. That I was actually starstruck at different conventions. Well, two of them were kind of starstruck. One, I met uh, J. Scott Campbell. Okay. Comic book artist. I actually have. He's really good. He's really good. Like, I have uh, his Danger oh, okay. Girl yep. tattoo, his logo for his comic, you know, and I got a couple things signed by him, and then I was talking with him, you know. But what was funny, because, like, my booth was down the way so I could see where he would be, you know, and I'm like, he's not there, he's not there. When is he going to be there? And I went to the bathroom, you know, and I'm at like one of the urinals and then like he actually comes in and he's like stands right next to me. I'm like, oh, my God, it's him. Should I say something? Is that weird? <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> I should have said like, like not even made eye contact, but just kind of leaned over and be like, uh, really enjoy your stuff, man. <laughs> you might take that a, a wrong way. <laughs> but um, then there was another time Jason Momoa. Was, okay. Yeah. He was at he was at Salt Lake. Right. And I had my booth there with my art, and I had this picture. My portfolio was open, and it was randomly open to a picture I did from Game of Thrones, Daenerys Targaryen, who his character in that show was married to, right? Okay. So I did this picture of she was nude. It was a nude drawing where she's, like, walking out of this fire, right? Okay. It's a pretty epic scene from the show. And this guy comes walking down, and I'm looking at him. I'm like, wow, that's a really good Jason Momoa cosplay. <laughs> Not realizing that it was him. <laughs> and he's flanked by another guy who must be a bodyguard or something. Like, he needs a bodyguard. Right. But he comes walking. I've seen his bodyguards. They're, like, small compared know, to him. Right? <laughs> but he comes walking by, and he sees that drawing. And he points at it and smiles at me as he keeps going. And, like, my heart skipped the beat. <laughs> and I became a uh, rose at the end of Titanic. <laughs> You know, she's like, come back, come back. You know, like I was trying to like, oh, you need to come on. But he was gone. You know? Right. And then another time I was at a uh, convention in Las Vegas. He wasn't there for the convention, but we heard like Nicolas Cage is here. Okay. Like just he, he's just he's there because he's a comic book artist. Right. And, um, you know, I was talking with this, my, my booth mate, like my neighbor, and she was like, I hope, like, what if he comes? That'd be so, you know, she was really pumped, you know, yeah. he was around. And the the booths were different there as they are here, where behind us was nothing. It was just like okay. a big wall. So I had all this space behind me. But then, like, he comes walking down this way, like, down behind all the artists. And she was oh, getting, okay. she's like, oh, my gosh, here, here he comes, here he comes. But he comes walking down. He must have, he bought a piece of art, you know, he has it under his arm. And he has sunglasses on inside the building and he was the most nicholas cagiest <laughs> he, he like he knew he was the coolest thing <laughs> in that building you know and he just kept walking right on by and that girl was like that mother didn't even stop to look at her stuff she was so pissed <laughs> but those are my celebrity stories that's funny so we have an interview section. The interview this episode is Nathan Schmake. He's a local, I can't even remember what he called himself, a high-functioning something or other. 
he says it in the interview. So <laughs> you'll, you'll hear it from him, not from me, and he'll explain it. But he's basically a local author, a local artist. We'll have that now. We call this part of the podcast, I Tick. We ask everyone the same six questions in an effort to figure out what makes them tick. Tell us your name and what you do. My name is Nathan Shoemate, and I am a high-function dilettante. I write. I do two-dimensional artwork. I edit. I do some book design, some web design. I do a web comic. I sing very well. I can't dance. I'm a fair cook. <laughs> All right. Tell us your earliest memory. My earliest memory. We were living at the time on Prince Edward Island, Canada. So that's one time zone beyond Maine. In this old house that was, it was over 100 years old then. So that makes it, you know, at least 115 now, right? Yeah. And the kitchen linoleum was this irregular size and irregular shape, but more or less oval pattern. And I thought, and still do think, that it looked like au gratin potatoes. You know, just, just kind of not quite regular ovals. And it was about that color, too, about the color of a sliced potato. <laughs> and I remember saying, I was sitting there on the floor and then saying to my mom, how old am I, two? I have no idea how old I was, but <laughs> so that's my earliest memory. Very good. Tell us a story from your childhood that has influenced your life, maybe something you haven't shared often. I had some of the worst nightmares as a kid, and one recurring image that showed up in them was of a bald woman's head to the point that for at least a decade I could not look at one of those styrofoam wig heads because it looked like her and I would have these dreams where I would open the box and the head it would talk and stuff but it was this bald woman's head how's that for a nice one that's good all right share with us a piece of music that has been highly influential in your life are you ready to laugh Michael Kamen's theme to Highlander. Okay. Okay. I just, I love, Michael Kamen, you know, he did, probably the thing he's most famous for is Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, the soundtrack that everybody had. Very fanfare-y. And when, when he got to do adventure movies, he did a lot of fanfares to the point that my brother-in-law, who was a musician, walked into the room and I had the Highlander soundtrack playing and he listened for a second and said, that's got to be Michael Kamen. He had never heard it before, but he just knew what he sounded like. And so it's very, I love Highlander because it's a version of the Joseph Campbell myth cycle that isn't at all based on Star Wars. You know, it's it's about the young boy from nowhere who's educated by a, you know, a wise person and, and has to go on a quest. But it's not Star Wars-y at all. And I... 
you know, plus it also really appeals to the, the whole teenage loner thing, you know, that mm-hmm. all of us awkward geeks like to pretend was romantic. So, but I love, I love the theme to that. So there you go. Excellent. Share with us a piece of media that's been highly influential in your life. Since we're already digging into really old memories here, there was a TV show when I was probably about five or so called Rocket Robin Hood. And I saw an episode of it later and it totally sucks. It was a pre-anime Japanese animation thing done by the same people as did the Mighty Hercules, which, yeah. But when I was four and five years old, it was amazing. It was Robin Hood in space. That was so awesome. I thought it was terrific. I would never miss it. That's probably, you know, Robin Hood in space. I mean, yeah, throw, throw together adventure and science fiction and it's great. And I'll still do that. You put adventure and science fiction together and I'll say that's probably going to suck. But you know what? I've got my tub of popcorn and I'm here willing to sit through the whole thing. Awesome. I've never seen that. That sounds I, like something I would watch. Yeah. it And, you know, it was, again, those the same little five, ten minute segments that are in the Mighty Hercules and the animation style is entirely the same. So, so much so that when I saw a clip of it somewhere, YouTube or wherever, I couldn't watch past a couple of seconds because this sucks so bad it's going to ruin my entire childhood if I absorb this. I would rather just remember it through my innocent little eyes. <laughs> Tell us about your passion and why you do it. My passion. I see, I don't have just one. Like I say, I call myself a high function dilettante because I keep leaping from things thing to thing. And if I live to be 200, I might be able to finish all of the projects that are currently begun. Not not the to-do list, just the ones that have begun and then I've leapt to something else. I like things that are silly and serious at the same time. I do the B-movie posters, which are, you know, obviously make a joke of it, but I like that kind of goofy and yet really hits you, which is one of the reasons that I, I hate most of the jokes that are told in church because they're so lame. It's like, if you're going to tell a joke, tell me a good joke. <laughs> Don't tell me a joke that you know we've all heard before and we all go, <laughs> I like I, I like being funny. I didn't realize until I was in my mid-20s and when somebody pointed out, that's your thing. You always try to make the joke. I'm like, oh, I guess I do. Huh. Because, uh, you know, humor is one of those avenues into truth, I guess. You you can see it without the preconceptions. You can see it off guard. Or maybe none of that is true and I'm just making up crap on the spot. But it works for now. Nathan, what makes you tick? A few months ago, I saw a movie called Old Fashioned, which had been promoted and marketed right when Fifty Shades of Grey was coming out. And it marketed itself as the antithesis of this. No bondage, no master-servant relations, just a guy who had once in college been a real creep and then it turned his life around and found Jesus and and now ran an antique store and had you know rules to make sure that he just stayed a good person. He said in that movie, someone asked him, you know, well, what do, what do you want out of life? And he said, to be decent, to be a good person, to be, yeah. A person that I'd want to be. I'm like, yeah, that sounds like a good thing. You know, I don't have to be famous. I don't have to be rich. I don't have to be any more stunningly handsome than I currently am. You know, I I don't have to have a big house, fancy car. 
don't even have to be well known by a small cadre of cult followers. Uh, but just to know at the end of it all, you know, I was a good person. If people didn't enjoy being around me, well, there was something wrong with them. <laughs> all right. Well, if people want to see your work or contact you, how do, how do they see your uh, stuff? My yeah. main website is nathanshumate.com. That's N-A-T-H-A-N-S-H-U-M-A-T-E. Go back and see if you put a C in it because there is no C in Shumate. But everyone wants to put it there because they assume I'm German. I'm not. And then from there, you can get to everything else I do. I do a webcomic called Cheap Caffeine, which is at cheapcaffeine.net. I also run a uh, a fairly popular, for its kind of site, website called lousybookcovers.com, which I describe to people as being like people of Walmart for independent book covers. <laughs> because I figure if you've, if you've put something up on Amazon and told me that it's worth my money to buy it, I'm allowed to make fun of you. It's not like I'm going into your house and making fun of your children's artwork on the refrigerator. But if you tell me that I should buy it, I can make fun of you. And then if you know, you can see me live, I suppose, at, at events like FanX in Salt Lake. And uh, I'll be at Anime Bonsai, even though I don't do anime. Uh, I'm actually, for those few people listening to this who might be in the Denver area, Mile High Comics, I found out, does this thing on Black Friday and Saturday which is sort of like a convention uh, in that they charge dealers to come in and bring tables or you know, set up on tables. So they supply the tables, I hope. But it's free to the public to come in, and it's basically a big shopping thing. And so a friend and I are going to actually go to Denver and do that on Black Friday and Saturday. So Very good. Or you can just stalk me. You know, There are only a few Nathan Shoemates on Facebook and stuff. I'm the one that's not a 21-year-old basketball player. <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks for coming on. Well, thank you for having me. Good to get to know you. All right, so that was Nathan. Really cool guy. I'm glad I got to know him. So is there anything else you wanted to talk about? Talk mm. about your comic a little more? Or? I'm going to do another Kickstarter for it. Okay. I did two Kickstarters for the first two issues. And then I'm like, I can't do a Kickstarter and bug people mm -hmm. every single year for a new issue, you know? So I've just been like, you know, just funding it by myself, just getting 25 copies of the next few issues and sending them, you know, selling them at the conventions. But now that it's done, I'm going to do another Kickstarter because it's in black and white and I'm hiring an artist right now. It's my buddy, Jesse Roundy, who's been a longtime friend of mine and he's an excellent artist. He doesn't do a lot of coloring, you know, mm -hmm. he does, he does it now and then, but like his black and white pencil stuff is like out of this world is it's ungodly <laughs> but anyways he actually did like the coloring on most of the covers he okay was, he wasn't able to do one of them i was like you know i need i need to get these pages colored and i want to then release the book as a collected okay. edition a trade paperback i talked to him and i didn't think he's going to be able to do it or he, he we've kind of talked about it he was kind of interested years ago but you know he has his own thing he has so many projects right. he has kids i'm like he's not going to want to do this but i'm like i'm going to ask him mm -hmm. before i start asking finding different artists and stuff like that. And he said like he was interested. And so he's going to try and do it. So I'm going to do another Kickstarter to just pay him okay. to do it. And then re-release these in a big collected edition, which will also allow me to put additional pages in, okay. you know, to kind of more complete the story. I really put myself on a deadline for each issue and a finite amount of pages, just 24 pages in each book. And there's sometimes I'm like, you know, I'm not able to flesh out the story as much as I want. I kind of have to jump. And there's right. one part in like the fourth issue. I'm like, man, I really wish I 
could have put more pages in, but then I would have had to sacrifice other things, you know. Right. So this is going to give me it's it's basically the special edition, right? You know, you give like George Lucas crap for like remastering and <laughs> you know putting in these deleted scenes, and it's like I kind of get it, <laughs> you know. I, I I get it too. Have have you? Uh, I just finished reading the Max. Yeah, I had read it before, but I was missing eight issues. Mm-hmm. And they were apparently really important issues because I, the first time I read through it, I was just like, I was so confused at the end. Yeah. I was just like, I must've really missed something in those eight issues. And, uh, I finally ponied up some cash and found those issues. So I just think it was the last night or the night before I finished, I read through the whole thing again. I, now I understand why I was so confused because the first 20 issues is one story. And then the last 15 issues is another story. Gotcha. And were you in like right in the middle? (laughs) Well, no, I was like right at the end. So like I was missing one through 20. I was missing like 16, 17, 18, 19. Mm. There was a huge jump. Yeah. Between issue 20 and 21. 21 happens 10 years later. Like in the. In the story. So you have issue 20 and it's a nice ending. It's an ending that could have been the end of the series. Yeah. And then you go to issue 21 and it's 10 years later. And right. so it has to kind of reintroduce everything, tell you what everybody's been up to. It, it, it almost felt like the story was done and he was trying to figure out what to do with the characters now. Right. At that point. Yeah. So. Yeah. The, the way I wrote these issues is like, I just kind of got to a point where I'm like, I need to start it. Like mm-hmm. I'm not, I'm more of an artist than a writer, but I, you know, I do have like the writing juices in me. Like right. I feel there's a novel in me somewhere. I feel right. there's a children's book in me. I feel there's a movie <laughs> in me, like a screenplay right. and direct. Like I feel I can do these things. Like I mm-hmm. have them in me, but I try not to think about them too much because, like, I'm focusing on one thing at a time. You know, I'm yeah. like, I can't start thinking about all these other things because it will drive me nuts that I won't be able to do it. So I just started like drawing the first issue, not a hundred percent knowing. Like, I kind of knew how it was going to end, but it even changed on me. Right. Like, down the road. So, that's why I think this, I'll be able to insert more pages here and there to make things make sense. Yeah. More. So, that was what I was going to say. After I finished reading them, I was was just looking online for some things. And apparently, they did another one called The Max Maximized. Hmm. And it's hardcover versions uh, the whole thing is told in like seven volumes, and then he did. He fleshed out the story. He added more art and more pages yeah. to it. And I'm like, man, I can't afford to buy that one. Right. But I really wish I could. Yeah. There's there's a complete set on eBay right now, but it's like 170 dollars. <laughs> yeah, that's a lot of money that you know for something you already have most of. Already. Right. Right. Yeah. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I want to finish that, and then um, Robert and I are working on the. Uh, the He-Man fan comic. Mm-hmm. We want to like get together and see if we can do another podcast with you to talk more about that. Oh, absolutely. More because we we talk about it here and there, but just kind of in depth of like how like it he came up with the idea and how like I got involved and what we're doing and how like it started ten years ago and we're still kind of working on it. But yeah, like we're pretty invested in it, and that's what I'm working on now is the third part. Like Robert has a bunch of pages already done. But I get to do what I think is the most exciting part for me mm. is, um, well, without giving away too much, the two main characters finally, like, meet up. Okay. And a pretty epic clash. <laughs> and, like, I get to, like, write that and figure that out, you know. So I've been doing that. So that's going to be 
pretty exciting. Very cool. And then after that, I don't know what I'm going to do. I got this idea the other day. Maybe you can help me promote it. Mm-hmm. This idea just kind of occurred to me. And so I, I got the Instagram. I bought the URL. I set up a Facebook page. I bought the URL, but I don't. I, I haven't built a web page or anything for yeah. it yet, but I, I wanted to have it. There's all these like art challenge things out there. Mm-hmm. Like the one that's coming up that everybody gets excited about is Inktober. Inktober. I was thinking about doing that for the first time. I, I've done it a few times. I didn't do it last year because I was in Scotland and I'm not doing it this year because I'm going to be in Italy. The, the guy who came up with Inktober, do you know who that is? Yeah, he's a local guy. I met him for the first time at my very first convention. He was right next to me. Oh, really? And I ended up talking with him a lot. My girlfriend, Lori, she's like, she's a social butterfly. Like, I'm like, I don't want to talk to anybody. Leave me alone. But (laughs) she starts talking with him, you know, and he gave us some free stuff because we helped him with his booth. And so Mm -hmm. I'm like, oh, my gosh, this guy's like a big deal. Anyways, go on. Yeah. So there's a bunch of them now. There's like March of Robots. There's Mermaid. (laughs) Yeah, there's, there's a whole bunch of them. But... It's like monthly challenge. You do a thing in a month. So, but what I've been wanting to do for years, and I've never really been able to get together with somebody and do it, is I want to collaborate on something. I want mm-hmm. to collaborate on a project. Yeah. I want to do some kind of art thing with somebody. Right. And so I want to put together collabuary. Okay. So this is for February. Right. And I'm, I'm still kind of trying to like put together, but since you already have a collaborative project with your brother. Yeah. Uh, maybe you can help me push it a little bit. I don't yeah. know, but because I haven't quite figured out what the what the rules are. Like Inktober is easy. You draw yeah. you draw an ink drawing every day and you post it on Instagram. But with a collaborative thing, it's it's not like you can do that. So I want people to collaborate on something. I don't know if I want people to like post. I I think I just want people to collaborate and then show what they can mm-hmm. on Instagram, whatever that is. Uh, depending on whatever the project is, you know, but I'm still kind of working out how to get it out there. So you should talk with Robert. Actually, he did something kind of like that. It took longer than a month, but he was on a website called digital webbing with a bunch of artists who just go on there and show their work and stuff. And originally he found some artists who put a few pages up that he just drew of like X-Men, right? It was with Mojo. Okay. And some, I forget what, how it started, but he, he just liked those pages and Robert wanted to like continue that story. Okay. So Robert like, Oh, can I like draw a few pages that continue that story? And then other people wanted to get in on that. Mm -hmm. So he actually got like several, I don't even know how many Robert was kind of like the creative, like the director, like kind of trying to, Oh, he sent me something. Uh, it was a Hellboy comic that he sent me. Well, first it was an X-Men project and then it became a Hellboy. Okay. So like what basically he, the first one people just, like, okay, you're up next. This is where the story was. Like, where does it go from there? And it kind of went off the rails a little bit because people, which I, I thought was kind of interesting, you know, it was like, okay, where do you want to take it for the next four pages? Right. You know, and like, I want to draw Miss Marvel or something. So like Rogue and her had a big brief run in, you know, mm-hmm. but they eventually had a end to that. And then that story kind of went into another thing, which was a Hellboy story which was like Hellboy was just the the central character, the character that you follow, but then he gets like jumped through different portals. Right. And he gets to meet up with different wh- whomevers, you know, like monster figures and stuff. Mm-hmm. Like one guy did like a thing where he dropped into the world of aliens. Mm-hmm. 
really cool art. I did something with Vampirella just because I wanted to right. draw her. Oh, that one, that one had some funny lines in it that oh, I loved. That, that was, I, I, yeah, that was that was all me. I think I'm quite funny myself when I. But that that was a, that was a big kind of cool collaborative thing, and that one he made more of a a story. But yeah. that, that could be something like you get a bunch of people and. Yeah, and I don't want to dictate too much right. how to do it because, uh, like, I've got a friend, the guy that helped me start this podcast, Jess Smiley. He does what he calls comic jams, and so once a month, a group of people get together at the local comic book shop, and we do improvisational collaborative comics. Mm-hmm. And Jess usually comes up with different ways of doing this, but it essentially boils down to you draw a panel, you pass it to the next person, they draw the next panel. And those are fun because it's people of all different art abilities. Like there's people there that can't draw, but they're just there to have fun. And then there's people there that can draw, but because you're drawing so fast, you can't draw because you don't have time. Right. So you're just busting these things out as fast as you can. Mm -hmm. So art skill doesn't matter that much. And, like, you'll have people there like us that have written comics mm-hmm. and, and long format things and kind of have an idea of how to do stories. And then you'll have kids there that yeah. have no idea what they're doing. Right. And so, like, those things go off the rails yeah. so easily. But they're funny. And that's kind of the, the whole point of it is yeah. just to, to get together and have fun in that way. So th- I can see where – because, like, sometimes, like, I get an idea and I'll I'll try to – because usually he'll say, okay, draw, we'll do, break up into groups. And he'll be like, okay, draw nine panels. And so, like, I'll draw my nine panels. But, like, I'm not the guy that wants to draw just nine squares yeah. that are all exactly the same. Right. So I'll do, I'll do, like, one that's a big circle, and then I'll fit things around it. Yeah. And I'll, I'll even do panelless ones, <laughs> um, which I think sometimes confuses people which I don't get because it's <laughs> very obviously there should be a panel there, even though there's no border. Right. <laughs> kind of a thing. Makes you wonder, like, do you read comics? <laughs> you know? Right. Yeah. So, yeah, but it, and it's fun. And so, and like, there was one where we were doing like spooky kind of things. I had kind of a ghost train idea in mind. Mm-hmm. And so for my panels, I kind of actually shaped the panels like a, like a steam locomotive. Okay. And then I was very like train centered in the, like the very first panel that I got to draw. Yeah. So I was really trying to direct it. And that, that one literally went off the rails. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, but it's, it's fun. He hasn't done it lately. Cause he's the poor guy. He's, he's got some health problems. He's been, he's been bend ridden for like a year oh, at this man. point. So get better Jess. Yeah. Jess. So anyway, so I want to do collaborary and I, I just, I, I don't know how to write the rules up so that it's open and yet has some structure. Yeah. You know well, what I mean? We'll have to think about that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like I sat down one day and I was trying to, and I, I try to be really succinct because if you get too complicated, then people can't do it. That's why Inktober works. Cause it's like do an ink drawing post every day. That's why mermaid works. You draw a mermaid every day, post it. That's why March of Robots works. Yeah. You draw a robot, you post it. Right. So, so I'm trying to keep it really simple, but it gets a little more complicated when you're collaborating with somebody. Yeah. Well, I, I think the way we did the Hellboy thing worked to make everybody happy because it didn't have to, like, you know, you had my story and, like, five other, how, ten other people's stories. You could take those stories and put them in a, whatever in, order. In any order. So it's like if you came up with, like, maybe had a, like, okay, who wants to participate? And then, like, have a vote. Like, here are, like, the different characters. And 
because Hellboy just jumped from dimension to dimension, right. and then like somebody had like like Robert did the beginning and the end. Yeah, you know. So well, and and I'm trying to keep it really generic because I don't want this just to be comic book artists right. doing it. Yeah. I I want to see if I can get musicians to do it. Okay, if I can get you know people to do that's what makes it complicated yeah, when that's different genres that's what makes whatever. it hard is I, i'm just trying to write it up simple enough that basically you do a thing and then you post it and and, and basically the, the only rule is collaborate with somebody you yeah. know get together with somebody and do something right so I, i'm hoping i can get it to work to, yeah. to take off because if, if it could take off like inktober i'd be really happy man what you could like if you if you get somebody in film and music video editing like even artists and stuff like that, you know, actors. Like you make a you make a movie somehow, yeah. then but you get a whole bunch of different people yeah. that can collaborate on different yeah. things. Maybe something like that. Yeah, yeah, so, you have to think about that. Yep. So that's that's kind of what I want to do. Well, uh, it's been great having you on. Yeah. Thanks, Richard. This is always this is fun. Yeah. It's, al- it's always fun to just sit around and just talk about yeah. stuff. You know, that you think people might listen to. Uh, that, and that's why I ended up just keep doing this even though Jess couldn't keep doing it with me. I was just yeah. like, you know, I've been having fun talking to people about stuff. Yeah. I want to keep going. If I had the equipment, I would still be doing it. Yeah, it's really fun. So yeah, thanks for coming down. Thanks, Richard.